0: And welcome to another episode of the 12 Days of Dishmas. I'm Paul Verhoeven.
1: And I'm Tegan Higginbotham. And my name is still hard to say.
0: It's ridiculous, but so is mine. Anyway, Tegan, we didn't order turkey by any chance, did we? (laughs) Was that a big thing that we ordered, like a huge, huge expensive turkey?
1: Yeah, look guys, here's the thing. I am that person who has never cooked a turkey before and this year have gone out and spent an awful lot of money on a turkey. And I mean a profound amount of money because I wanted an organic one so I'd feel good about myself as well as full in my tum-tum. We're going
0: to talk about that particular choice that you've made and that we're living (laughs) with right now with our guest. You may know him from Better Homes and Gardens where he's been whipping up incredible delicacies since back in 2003, but Ed Helmagyi is also a renowned chef, author, photographer and radio host. His latest cookbook Seasonal Kitchen was released August this year and is brimming with over 70 recipes. What a show-off. Ed is also (laughs) extremely proud of his Judaism, and on this episode of Dish Island, he's going to explain why Jewish food outdoes Christmas food any day of the week. A bold claim, but one I'm inclined to agree with. He also talks us through how to salvage the driest of birds, the terrible, terrible Christmas turkey. Please welcome Ed Helmaggy. Welcome to Dish Island, Ed. We are doing a Christmas podcast to celebrate the 12 days of Dishmas, and we all know about Christmas food because it's it's on screen all the time, and it's kind of a, you know, it's a pop-cultural staple. It's all we hear about. But I had to ask, are there any Jewish festive foods that you think could go toe-to-toe with traditional Christmas fare that we're eating around this time of year? And I guess what I'm asking is, which holiday would win in a food fight, Hanukkah or Christmas? It's
2: so easy. I mean, look, you know, as, mu- as much as the... Uh... The white majority in Australia think that uh, a badly cooked roast chicken and an overly sweet glazed ham is the way to go. Let me tell you, Hanukkah is a brilliant idea. Essentially, what it celebrates is an eight day shortage of supply chain uh, in ancient <laughs> times, where the Jews responded by saying, fuck, let's eat donuts. You know? <laughs> I mean, now, Hanukkah's great because, listen, uh, so Hanukkah being a celebration of the, the oil that lasted eight days is all about your oily food. So you eat potato latkes, uh, which are like fried potatoes. You eat your donuts, all sorts of you know, little oily things. At uh, at Sukkot, uh, you tend to eat fresh fruits and vegetables. It's a harvest festival. At Shavuot, it's all about the dairy. So there's different times of the year where we sort of get into different kinds of things. But the nice thing about being Jewish is that if you're you're a hardcore, well not hardcore, if you're a committed Christian, you've got what, Christmas and Easter and they're a couple of months apart. Dude, we get to celebrate every like nine days as a holiday, you know? (laughs) I remember when I was at school, my Jewish friends, they'd all take every holiday off. like. Are you still enrolled?
0: What's
1: going on? (laughs) God. Oh my God! My mum was raised Jewish. Her um, her uncle was a rabbi, Rabbi Wolf. Her you know grandfather was a very big part of her upbringing. His name was Abraham. And when she moved out to Australia, when she em- Oh, that's
2: a cartoon. Come on, Abraham <laughs> and Wolf, you're making this up. No, that's a private. Know, that's right? a private detective agency, is what they Abraham and, and Wolf.
1: <laughs> so when she moved out here, um, she lost connections with a lot of that side. And the one thing she still says and talks about all the time is how much she misses the food. Mm. And oh, yeah. it's just yeah, it's not. It's not a big part of our life, but if we, you know, if I feel like lots of other cultures jump onto the Christmas thing, or most mm-hmm. of the point, it's rammed down rammed. The throats a bit. You walk
2: into any supermarket already, like, dude, I know. It, it's like November, get rid of the jingle bells, I can't, I can't take it. Oh
1: man, you are going to be very mm. unwell by the end of December then.
2: But just on the point that you're making about Jewish food, the mm. thing that you need to remember is that... Oh, ninety something percent of the Jews in Australia come from what's called the Ashkenazi tradition, which is the European or Eastern European Jews, mostly out of Poland, Lithuania, and Hungary here in Australia. But that's maybe oh, a bit. Of, well, these days it's less than half of the Jewish population in the world. You know, that we had a bit of an issue in the forties. Um, <laughs> yeah, I heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it made the books. Yeah. Then you've got what's called the Sephardi Jews, who were Jews who were in Spain uh, until the believe it or not the year 1492 Um, it wasn't just Columbus that year and they they expelled all the Jews so some went to the Netherlands a lot went to Turkey some went to Israel some went to North Africa and they've got their own sort of culture of food it is very Western Mediterranean and then you have the Mizrahi Jews who are from Tunisia and Morocco and Egypt and Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan and Yemen and Ethiopia and their food traditions were deeply Arabic and deeply Mediterranean in their stylings and they were all there till 1967 after the they wore, they were all given an invitation to go elsewhere, uh, which they gratefully
0: accepted. But in terms of like, okay, so if you've got people who are sitting there going, yeah, yeah, sure, it's fried, whatever, whatever, and they're they're kind of a bit skeptical, what are some dishes that you would whip out to just like blow their minds, right? To just give them a really interesting cross-section, like a condensed version of how good... Jewish food can be around this time of year.
2: Okay, before we answer the question, let's go through the quick checklist of what you need to know. Sure. You all know there's no pork, yeah, and there's no shellfish. If it comes out of the ocean, it's got to have both fins and scales. Uh, that's for another moment because there's a, there's a scientific problem with that, but anyway. Um, actually, no, let's do it. You do realize <laughs> that octopus and calamari and squid all have scales and fins rabbis what are you doing oh, <laughs> anyway, okay, anyway, okay, okay. Yeah. anyway if it comes from the land it's got to have both uh, a split hoof and to its cud which means uh cows goats and sheep are pretty good most other things you probably want to look away when uh, when the rabbi comes by and then basically um vegetables and everything they're all cool so you know if you want to do something like um a beautiful piece of uh Tasmanian Boarfish, which is one of my favorite uh, fish in Australia, light white fish. They don't get too big, but they're spectacular to eat. Uh, I dry fill it, though, so we never wash them. That way, you don't lose any of the flavor. Uh, you make up a small marinade of something like pomegranate molasses, celery juice, um, mm. a little bit of roasted garlic, and some finely ground uh, black sesame seed. The other thing you want to do is to get some dried chilies and a blowtorch, and you char the living i was going to say bejesus but that's not appropriate out of them uh, <laughs> until they're really ashed and then grind that up to a powder And a little bit of this chili ash in there is amazing and then it's very fast roast uh skin side up with this glaze on it uh beyond amazing i mean really beyond amazing the best of australian ingredients with a little bit of a misrahi kind of flavor that compared to your sticky ham any day of the week that does sound
0: So good? Well, Paul's
1: also of this belief. He thinks that turkey is actually only rolled out at Christmas. Yeah, by
0: big turkey. I think it's a con. I think it's like, it's the only bird. It it gets foisted on us once a year. If it was actually good, Ed, my theory is we'd be eating it all the time. What do you think of this? I bow down at your altar of knowledge, (laughs) 100%. (laughs) Is there big turkey?
2: Oh, yes. (laughs) 99% of the time, people go to cook a turkey, particularly at Christmas. It's the very first time they've ever done it. And they go, hmm. It's a bit dry. It's like, oh really? <laughs> um, the other look on Christmas Day, I I get so many emails and text messages on Christmas Day. The funniest one I usually get a dozen every year is, please help! I've roasted my turkey and forgot to take it out of the bag. What can I do? <gasps> no. Oh seriously, yeah, yeah. Or oh, the other one is, I'm roasting my turkey. It says four hours, but it's still rock hard. And so you mess- I always message them back saying is there a chance you didn't defrost it first? (laughs) Oh my god. It's so funny. Yeah, Turkey is, look, when Turkey's done really well, it's it's pretty good, but if you're settling for pretty good on Christmas <laughs> Day, best, dude...
0: The best you could hope for is like fine. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And when you're paying like 90 to $120 for a turkey at this time of the year, dude, you've been ripped off.
1: Oh. Paul just gave me such a look because I have just pre-ordered a, you know, this sort of grain-fed, probably highly educated turkey from our organic butchers, and it has cost $15.
0: I'm going to bleep that.
1: Wow.
2: Wow. So you're that person. Oh, I'm wow. that
1: person. I hey. walk past them
2: every day on the street and I wonder who they are, but I'm talking to her right now.
0: How we look you, normal on the outside. How can you fix that, though? How can you fix it? Okay, so we've... we've Cancel seen, your we, order. That's how we sh- you fix it. We've sh- <laughs> no, it's too late, dude. We've shackled ourselves to this big, big, mm-hmm. awful dry bird. How, as an expert, how would yeah. you suggest we kind of pivot this towards good? Sure. Now,
2: the first thing is you need to ask your butcher or supplier whether or not it's been brined. It's So brining is a process. In fact, brining works really well with chicken as well if you're going to roast it. Uh, And what it's a matter of is, because turkey is quite dense, the meat's more dense than chicken, it has a lot lower fat content. You need to take uh, a metal skewer and literally poke it all over. And when I say all over, I mean all over. It'll take you 10 minutes. Your holes should be about a centimeter and a half apart. It does two things. Uh, Number one, it'll allow the brine to get in. We'll talk about that in a minute. But secondly, by shredding the meat, it gives it the perception of being tender even when it's not. Um, So with the brine, you're going to do it uh, one part in ten, salt to water. Please don't use iodized table salt or otherwise it's going to taste like uh, dinner at your grandma after she's lost her sense of taste. (laughs) Awful. And into that you put some aromatics, bay leaves, allspice, cloves, thyme, whatever you feel like. Really, it's up to you. Do not use... Uh, Don't use something like onions, because the malic acid in onions tends to give a slightly sour flavor later on. And so you just need to warm that up until the the salt's completely dissolved. Cool it down, and I'll be putting the pot into a a sink of cold water. Uh, And then you immerse the turkey into the brine. Now, how much brine are you going to need? Well, pop your, uh, your turkey into a pot and see whether it fits. If it fits, great. Then what you need to do is get a tape measure. And what you'll do is you'll measure the width of the pot at the top, right? And I'm assuming it's a straight pot. And then, of course, you'll halve that. So that will give you the radius. And then, as everybody knows, it's simply pi r squared h will give you the volume. But make sure you're doing it in, <laughs> in metres and not not uh, millimetres. Otherwise, you'll get the wrong uh, factor, and you'll need to move your... So, is, so have I lost you with the maths? <laughs> Just make some brine, dude!
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: How deep, how deep do you go with these kind of small Hellraiser incisions in the turkey flesh?
2: Uh, and like, it's like being a a serial killer until you hit bone. So, um, you you, you need to, the further you penetrate, the further the brine will penetrate. Now you need to leave it in that, in the fridge, which can be problematic if you don't have a second fridge. But Mm. if you don't, what you do is you get a garbage bin, preferably not too dirty, and fill it with ice. Right, okay. And then put a lid on the thing and leave it overnight. has to be in overnight. So that goes in from about midday on Christmas Eve yep. until – you, are you doing lunch or dinner? Uh, I think it's going to be probably like I would say late afternoon. Yeah, thing. it's going to
1: be those – yeah, for some reason i –
2: Half-pissed, lazy lunch. Okay, yeah, got yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so midday to midday. At midday, the next day you'll take it out, pat it dry, do not rinse it. I'll say it again. Do not rinse it. You want that salt on it. Now you don't need to season it, right? Are you making a stuffing? Don't uh, yes, it's and, terrible. And there's, no, there's, do the no? stuffing separately. You do not okay. put the stuffing inside a turkey. It will come out absolutely rubbish, wet and horrible. What you do is you make your, your stuffing as you would normally, make it into a log, and then mm. wrap that in in uh, greaseproof or baking paper, and then wrap that in two or three layers of foil. And that only needs about 40 minutes to bake, but you do it separately, and then you have these lovely slices rather than those sloppy spoonfuls that everyone actually leaves on the side of the plate. I mean, if you're making something that people are going to ignore, that's not called cooking. That's called punishment. So... (laughs) As far as your turkey is concerned, make sure you're cooking it on a rack above a roasting pan. If it's sitting in the pan, the bottom bit is going to have the texture of porridge. So uh, make sure it, uh, the stuff has somewhere to go, the juices have somewhere to drip. Make sure there's about a centimeter of water in the drip tray right through the baking. You want to start it at about 230 degrees, rubbed with a little bit of oil. Again, don't bother seasoning it. 230 degrees, give it half an hour. You're probably think to yourself, oh, geez, that sounds insane. It's yeah. not. What it's actually doing is it's it's um, cauterizing the skin, which will lock in as much moisture as is possible. Mm. Then you're going to drop it down to 180 degrees. At that point, you're going to cover it with foil, two, three layers of foil, and leave it in there for two and a quarter hours. Right. Wow. At that point, take the foil back off and give it another half hour, and that's it. So, it's three and a quarter hours for a size 50 turkey. If it's a little bit smaller, t- uh, the sizes with turkeys, by the way, each size uh, number represents 500 grams. So it represents 100 grams, sorry. Right. So, right. a size 50 is five kilos. If you've got yep. a size 44, it'll be 4.4 kilos. So, you do need to find it. If the, if the turkey has already been pre-brined, brining it again will give you about the kind of result you would get from being entirely uneducated about cooking turkey because it will come out <laughs> even drier than you'd imagine. <laughs> saltier than you can stand yeah and and just hope that your mother-in-law is there and just would you like an extra portion love hey hey why are they called turkeys Do why you know? are they called turkeys? where are they from they come from Guatemala what? so when work with me here Spanish go to Central America to Mexico and they find this thing called water pool which sounds like Guatemala doesn't it is what the Mexicans called the bird because it came from Guatemala and the Spanish go oh this is really cool and they take a breeding pair of those back and present it to the king of Spain And he goes they're beautiful And he puts them in his garden and they they breed and multiply breed and multiply uh, and then they kind of escape the garden and before you know it, in about 30 years the whole of the south of Spain is covered in these animals now the Spanish didn't eat them they thought it was a decorative animal and so the moors in the south of Spain who are the North Africans they went oh no these are pretty good so Before too long, they've sent some, you know, probably by express post across the Strait of Gibraltar to their friends and family in Morocco, and then it goes to Algeria, then it goes to Tunisia, into Libya, into Egypt, into what was then Palestine, and then up into Turkey. Now that went from sort of 1480 through about 1550. In 1550, the Turks have it, which is just when they were invading Europe. And so they go all the way across to Western Hungary where the Western nations beat them at a battle. And they captured this thing that the, the Turks were eating. It was this really large bird. And they called it a Turkish hen. And so they took it back to Paris and presented it to King Charles and said, Look what we have found for you, my king. It is a breeding pair of the most beautiful birds. <laughs> and the King King Charles of, of France said, Oh, it is magnificent. I'm going to send some to my beautiful uh, cousin, um, uh, King Ferdinand, uh, in Fran- in Spain. So they sent a breeding pair down to Spain and the Spanish King took one look and said, what the f is this? We've, got, we've already got these. <laughs> <laughs> so it so went and, all the way around the Mediterranean and it was a Turkish hen. There you
1: go. It was also the first story of official Christmas re-gifting, which I oh, really like.
0: Oh, that's so good.
2: Oh, <laughs> how have I missed that all these years? It's nothing oh. worse than when you,
0: get, when you get when you get when you get given a bird that looks like a pair of testicles. You give it away. It travels around Europe and then comes back to you. It's just, yeah. just tougher. Well, so even
2: here in even here in Australia, you know, you get the brush turkeys, which are a, a megapode. Mm. They really they have a
0: ball sack under their mouth, right? That's just <laughs> They I mean, just do. <laughs> Ed, I'm going to say, we normally prepare about 300 questions for our guests in case they don't have much Hit to me. say. We got through no, half no, a qu- no, no, dude. We got through half a question with you. We could do a fucking TED talk. This is amazing. But listen, Ed, we need to find out what you're... Desert Island Christmas dishes. So you, you are trapped on our island now, and you can only mm-hmm. bring one Christmas dish with you. But you know what? Let's extend it, right? Okay. Let's extend it out to, you know...
1: Hanukkah is in there.
0: Hanukkah is in there. So yep. any kind of festive food, what's
2: the one festive dish? I have one question to ask you. I'm assuming that mm. there is uh, three-phase power and a freezer. On the island, yes, of yes, course yes, there yes. is. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: we've we've got freezer facilities for certain. Excellent,
2: and and the and you've also got a really good capricciani ice cream churn because it, you know what island would be complete without a, a one liter six minute ice cream churn? We would be making my cassia burnt honey and ajuwan ice cream, which is just Ooh. amazing. And the reason I throw ajuwan into this um, is because it starts a conversation, which you're about to ask me, what the f is Ajuan? <laughs> Ajawan is a seed that comes from um, sort of uh, eastern Israel into Jordan. Um, It's a beautiful, lightly sour, kind of sharp spice. Uh, the newest thing I know to it would be Australian Mountain Pepper, a uh, very similar sort of flavor profile. Mm. Uh, but see, the great thing about it is uh, we char the, ca- it's actually cassia, we char the cassia first, so it's got a bit of a smoky flavor, crumble that, put it into the milk for the infusion. Then we reduce the amount of sugar that's required by using honey. Honey's interesting because it's actually a thing called an, um, uh, a hygroscopic sugar, so it stays... Uh, tender the ice cream says tender it doesn't ice up it's really interesting a uh, little bit of ajuan like you won't really taste the adjuane but when you put it on the label all the people who eat this who come to my desert island they're going to go oh my god it was so amazing i went out to dinner at this new restaurant and i had for dessert was I do want ice cream. I haven't seen that anywhere. I'm so impressed. Have you tried it? Of course you haven't tried it, (laughs) because let's face it, going out to restaurants is 90% showing up your friends. Let's be honest. Yeah. Pretty much. much.
1: Amazing. Well, this is a dish that I don't think nobody's going to bring it. That's the whole point. That's why you've brought it, and I love it.
2: But listen, you're absolutely right. And for everyone listening who's thinking, how do you host a dinner party? Only one of the dishes you serve should be flamboyant, everything else should be really easy for you, but there should be one thing on the menu that no one knows how to cook. That's how
0: you make it memorable, and lots of good wine. We really cannot thank you enough for being stranded here with us, Ed. It's been an absolute pleasure. And also, uh, you just saved Christmas. You genuinely saved this terrible dry bird. So thank you. Well, from from the rabbis to your ears. (laughs) (laughs) If you ever release an album that has to be the name. (laughs) But, Ed, thanks, thanks for coming to Dish Island. It's a great
2: pleasure. And uh, anytime you want to row on over to my part of the island, I'll be waiting for you. Ice cream in
0: hand.
1: Paul, what a roller coaster of emotions. I've gone from regretting my life decisions to now looking for a salt bath. I think it's like the
0: stages of grieving, you know? I went through denial about having a turkey, and then I went through some bargaining and some depression and acceptance, and then brining, which of course is the most important part of the grieving process.
1: (laughs) Tomorrow we have another incredible guest. She's an author who I've looked up to for a very long time. She's very tall. (laughs) She's... (laughs) gigantic but I would also be very surprised if you don't have one of her books on your shelf we're talking about Pip Drysdale and she has a desert island dish that is weird so, no it's weird no it's not weird I think a lot of people are gonna really dig this desert island dish it's a
0: bit weird but you know what doesn't matter her books are so good it makes up for it <laughs> no I applaud a bold choice and Pip's choice is is pretty bold. If you want to hear what it is, you're going to have to tune in tomorrow. How's that for a tease? So make sure you tune in to tomorrow's episode of the 12 Days of Dishmas. I'm Paul. That's Tegan. Have a great day, everyone.
1: Merry Christmas. Merry
0: Christmas.